The greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate actions of its leaders and volunteers. Every week, founder of the community Big Hearts, Stu Starkey, will place the spotlight on leaders and volunteers, highlight key stories and statistics, and share insights to educate listeners and inspire everyone to have greater impact in their communities. Welcome to the community of Big Hearts. Welcome back, everybody, uh, back with Community of Big Hearts. This week, we are here again with Damien. Damien, thank you for filling in for me uh, last week. Uh, this week, we're here with Sheena from SOS Children's Village. How are you doing, Sheena? Hi, good morning. Good, thank you. Um, so Sheena is from SOS Children's Village, which is an organization that is helping reduce the number of transitions between foster cares. Um, and I'm gonna let Sheena tell us a little bit more about how they do that. Yeah, for sure. So we're out here in Surrey, British Columbia. We're just this tiny little gem in the forest that uh, house, we have five homes here in the village. And within those five homes, we have families living with foster children and their biological children. We also have five youth suites below these homes in the basement suites. And we work on um, supporting youth that are either close to aging out of care or have aged out of care to provide a stable, loving, caring environment for them to flourish into young, resilient adults. I love Surrey. I used to live in um, South Surrey a, a number of years ago. And in the, in the forested area, it is just, one of the nicest places in Canada, if not the world. Those kids are very lucky. Uh, yes, absolutely. Out there. You know, when we when we have um, donors or visitors come to the village, um, one of the biggest things is they, they come up the steps. And from the front of our property, the five homes just look like five regular homes. But you, the minute you walk up, it's all gated in. We're on 2.5 acres. And when you open the back gate, it's just, amazing i always stand and just looked at look at our donors faces because they, their jaw literally drops they're like wow this is amazing we have a basketball court we have a village hub we have chickens we have a little musical center playgrounds um you name it we've got a zipline hammocks a fire pit and then we have the whole forest in the back that's all carved out with trails and yeah it's it's gorgeous <laughs> You have any vacancies? <laughs> uh, we do actually. <laughs> we, uh, we're in the process of looking for caregivers for one of the homes right now. Amazing. Um, how long have you been with uh, SOS? I joined SOS in 2015, I believe, and I started working in the neurofeedback um, department. And so from there, I spent a little bit of time and slowly got pulled over into the TTA program, meeting youth out in the community. Um, so I spent a few few years doing that and slowly we developed the year intensive housing program. And this is where my skills were best put to use. Um, I came from a background of working with adults with disabilities and just teaching them the life skills that they need to to be independent and not have somebody always do something for them. 
So when Kisti invited me to come over to the village, I was like, okay, yeah, this is great. I, I'd love to do this. This it makes it only makes sense. I'm just such a caring and nurturing person myself that it was the right fit for me. Um, Kids are so adaptable. Um, so I, I started losing my vision when I was a little kid at night, and I, I just kind of figured my way around it. And as I'm getting older, I think it was mid twenties when I started to lose, lose peripheral vision, and now don't have too much left. And it is so much uh, more difficult to learn some of these skills as you get into adulthood. So I imagine that transition from adult um, to teaching kids um, these different things is uh, quite a difference. It is, and you know, it's the it's the basic things that often. We think that youth, children and youth know, but they don't because they've just been so busy moving from home to home to home, so busy just being told by social workers or foster parents, like, okay, we need to do this now, we need to do this now, and oh, we need to prepare because you're exiting, that they just, these little skills have slipped through the cracks. And when they come to SOS Children's Village, we really take the time to work on their goals with them, to sit down and do an individual service plan with them and talk about the short-term goals, the long-term goals, what they'd like to achieve within being in the program. And I think sometimes they'll say, nobody's ever asked me that. I, I don't know. And then that's another skill that we have to sit there and unpack with them like okay well let's talk about this what do you want to do how can i support you when when people find their purpose and set goals it's amazing what they can achieve and my favorite producer uh, has has taught me that and uh, he's got his own program that teaches it it's it's really amazing the impact that has on people especially youth so that's incredible that you guys start there um how does SOS help reduce some of these uh, transitions between foster homes, which can be really impactful on these youth. Um, I think I read that there is on average, like they transition six times before they turn adults on average. That's correct. Um, on average, a child will move six to eight times throughout their um, time in care. So in they can come in care at any point and they can be in government care until the age of 19. At 19, youth are expected to just leave the system and figure it out. There are endless, endless amounts of barriers that they face. Um, some of which can include homelessness, financial hardships, um, mental health concerns, loneliness. Um, there's, there's just so much uncertainty. And so um, the SOS program helps keep them in one place by doing it all at one location? That's correct. Yeah, the village, the village community allows for stability, allows for our foster parents to work with children and youth. So one of the, the very unique pieces about our village center is our village community is that the family upstairs is not only caring for their own children, their own foster children, but they also take on the youth downstairs. So it provides an opportunity for the youth to come upstairs and share a dinner together. Or, you know, I, I, I don't have enough flour to bake my cake. Can I borrow a cup? 
or I'm, I'm feeling really lonely today. Can I kind of just spend the evening with you guys and watch a movie or whatever it is? There's this expectation of this relationship that's there. It's unconditional. When caregivers move in, we tell them this is how it is here. You know, you may get Johnny who lives two houses down coming over and hanging out with Sarah, who's also living in your intensive housing suite. It's about community and belonging together. Oh, that's beautiful. Those are some of my, my, through doing this podcast, I've got to interview all sorts of charities and truly is my favorite um, conversations, hearing about organizations like yourself, that's really um, taking advantage of the power of community. It, it's not like one party really benefits and the other one has to give up something. Everyone wins. Exactly. It's a, just a no-brainer. So that's so beautiful that you guys are um, uh, taking that as part of the process. Yeah, you know, and here in BC, we have uh, 6,100 on average, 6,100 children and youth in care. Of that, 4,100 of them are Indigenous. Our village community supports Indigenous kids. We we really work on providing opportunities such as uh, cultural learnings, um, education programs, outdoor education. Over the last three years, we've had our youth travel up to the Yukon and come down the Yukon River, and they spent nine days. It was an amazing experience for all of them. A few of them have actually done it throughout the three years, and they have grown so much, and the resilience that they have, it's amazing. I've had the opportunity to visit the kids out in field, and I remember one of one of the times I said to my colleague, I said, you know, let's go, let's go find them. They're all in the forest right now. And the kids were spending some time being alone, being by themselves. They had all the supplies they needed, their sleeping bags and staff would bring them food and snacks. But the purpose was to be independent and alone and, and be comfortable with that. And so when we went to go bring them back, they were, they were so excited. They didn't know that we were coming or that I myself was coming. And um, they were so shocked. And when they came out of it, I just said, are you guys okay? Like, was this, did you enjoy this? And yeah, it was great. And then they shared their journals that they had spent time writing in. It was very amazing. Again, you got vacancies, right? That's what you said? (laughs) We do. We do. We are looking for a foster family to come live at the village. Uh, is, Is that a difficult process to find a family that's willing to come live there? It can be. Um, Living at the village is a little bit like living in a fishbowl. You know, everybody's always looking in. Everyone's always curious what's happening in that house and what's happening over here. And, you know, um, I think the biggest thing is when a family comes to the village, they have to understand that it's not just your home and your family. This is a bigger family. This is your aunties and your uncles and your siblings living next door. So when we go out as a group too, like oftentimes I'll take um, children out in the community and that that's when we really shine because our kids are all together, just like a nuclear family. They're all together. This is my brothers and sisters. If somebody looks at somebody differently, you know, they all put their arms around each other and protect each other. And that's, that's the sense of belonging. 
Um, that's a great segue to, I wanted to ask you about if you have any really impactful stories that you can tell, um, that you've seen over the last five years that have, have uh, moved you and will move our listeners about the impact your organization has. Yeah, for sure. Um, I had a youth come into my program, the year intensive housing program. This youth in particular had moved from home to home and was actually coming to us from a group home setting. When they arrived at the village, they came in with just their basic needs. They're, they came in with like garbage bags of clothes and just some personal belongings. Um, it was really hard. They didn't know what they were walking into coming to the village. When they walked into their suite, everything was there for them. All their furniture was there, all their kitchen appliances, their cutlery, their dishes. There was even food in the fridge. And this youth's reaction was like, this is all mine. I get to have this space and nobody else has to live here with me. And we said, yeah, this is yours. And the exciting part is when you do end up exiting this program, it's all yours too. You take it all with you. Mm. So in that, you could see that the youth was just like, okay, I can relax. I can breathe now. I, I'm safe. Um, it's, it's really uh, one of the other things I've learned from working with Ryan is that when someone's fighting for that food, water, shelter, they can't work on the other parts of, of themselves. Um, and so you guys providing that allows them to find that, um, love and connection and, uh, all the other things on, on Maslow's hierarchy. Um, so that's, that's really awesome. Yeah, it was, we definitely provided this safe and stable environment so that this youth could focus on their best self. They're able to work through whatever it was for them, right? Some of the goals that this youth in particular worked on was they knew that they wanted to go to post-secondary. They just had all these other barriers stopping them from doing it. Um, because the youth was in care, government funding was there for them to utilize AYA and a youth program. Um, but with giving and providing all the supports that we had, this youth was able to tap into our clinical services, which is right on site. So they didn't have to actually go to a setting outside in the community, whether it be a public health unit or the doctor or, you know, a counseling office. They just had to walk into the backyard into our village center where we provided the counseling for them on site. And if the youth was comfortable, the, the clinician could actually come into their suite and provide the service as well. That's amazing. And... Can I just ask you, how is uh, how's that individual doing today? Where are they, um, you know, where is that decision uh, to go to post-secondary taking them? Um... Yeah, absolutely, I can answer that. So the youth um, went from, they, they chose one path and, of post-secondary and then halfway through decided, I think I want to do something else. So they moved into another um, post-secondary institution, but they're doing great. They've actually just moved out of the village this past summer. Um, moved in with a partner and they're doing fabulous. They are set up, both going to school and work and 
super successful keeping in contact with us. And this is another piece that I'd like to share is that SOS doesn't just let a kid go after that after we've provided the service to them. They're with us forever until they say, you know, I'm good. I, I don't really need support. We'll still continuously check in. Our motto is once an SOS kid youth, always an SOS kid youth. So you can't really get rid of us. <laughs> we'll still track them down and message and check in and you know, the occasional highs. How are you? Is everything okay? And it's reciprocated too. The youth will often reach back out to me and check in and say, how's things going? You know, how's things at the village? I really miss it over there. Well, like even, you know, refer back to our conversation we're having before uh, we jumped on here. Um, could you just share a little bit of that story as well with us about uh, that particular youth who uh, who is helping you guys out right now? Yeah, absolutely. So just recently I had a youth who was in the year intensive housing program probably two years back now. And uh, they reached out and said, hey, you know, Sheena, um, I was approached by these individuals at the SkyTrain station who worked for SOS and they were asking if I'd like to donate to this organization. And I was like, oh, okay, what did you, what did you say? And they said, well, you know, I told them, I told them that I used to live there and how beneficial the program was for me and all the important skills that I learned and how much the staff and the supports there were, were in place. And I said, that's amazing. And the youth said, I, I, I signed up. I, I'm actually a donor now to SMS Children's Village. So that was an amazing wraparound story. That's beautiful to see that, you know, they understand the impact and, and they feel it and it goes so much further. And it's a, uh, it's a sense of accomplishment for SOS and for the individual that they can financially give back and that they appreciate so much that they, they know there's a need to give back as well to help the next one of them help it moving forwards, right? So that's amazing. And I want to move into a different direction asking, you know, what are some of the obstacles that SOS faces uh, in the village or in general? I think uh, one of the ob biggest obstacles that we face is when you're working with youth in care, um, you know, the, the ministry often sets, sets the tone. Whereas with SOS, we're able to to take it down a little deeper with the youth and work with them as what they want. Instead of saying, you know, this is your goals, this is your plans, you need to do this. We need to work on this right now. And we see this too often when we're working with the social workers and their care teams outside of SOS, it's preset for them. Mm -hmm. Where with us, we're able to say, okay, you need some time, Let's let's take some time. You need to process this. Let's process this. Let's unpack it step by step. Um, with us, it could take it could take ten years to get to that goal, but we'll work side by side along with them to get there. So, I guess what I'm hearing here is that some of the obstacles are, you know. Uh, misalignment of values, right? Is the people you work with have a different value um, to support as compared to SOS. So I'd love to hear so what uh, values you guys really do uh, um, have in your organization and how that rep is represented in the work that you guys do. Okay. So we take action. When we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. We're not going to, we're not going to skip. We're going to take as long as it's going to take to get that done. We keep our promises. Our kids matter. No matter what happens, we'll be there. 
through thick and thin, we will keep our promises to our children and youth. And we believe in each other. And by that, we build that trust and that rapport and just don't give up on them, right? And we're accountable. We're accountable to our families, our children and our youth and our partners, all our stakeholders. We hold ourselves at a high um, accountability. Uh, with with all that, I, I'm still processing all that you guys do. Um, and what we always want to do is is find out how we can help um, our listeners or or, or uh, Damien and I. Yeah. So how you guys can help is definitely through donations. Um, please reach out to us on our website at www.sosbc.org, and there's lots of ways that you can provide support. Um, as for yours, you, you too, what I'd really like some help with is, you know, two small men with big heart and the the wonderful work that you do when it comes to moving um, individuals, setting them up into their new homes. Like that's a big piece for us at the village. It happens often where, you know, our program is about a year, year and a half for your intensive housing. And I carry this on my shoulders with my youth team and we'll be out there renting a U-Haul or trying to figure out with the SOS minivan, how do we move this youth? How do we successfully set this up while trying to juggle supporting the youth? So how you guys could help us is if you were able to provide that support in moving the youth out or in, I can focus on my job of being with the youth and working with them in those tough times in this transition for them and just being there. Yeah, our, uh, I talked to our community coordinator uh, right before th- this interview, and she told me a little bit about um, uh, some of the conversations she's had with your colleague. And I think we, we've ended up uh, in a short period of time uh, from SOS reaching out. We've already done a move and got you set up for our holiday, holiday campaign, Big Hearts Helping Hands, where we're going to be doing um, essentially as many moves as you need over uh, December and January. And then uh, following that, you're gonna get you on the the Big Hearts Move of the Month program, uh, which is one free move a month. Um, And just these programs, we're just so um, grateful to be able to do. Our community supports us so much by uh, using our services. And we think it's our responsibility to give back to organizations like yours that's doing so much good for those that are, are being helped and peripherally everyone around them. Um, so we're, we're grateful we can help an organization like yours um, with those that are most vulnerable. That's amazing. Thank you. And, uh, and listeners, you, you've heard stories and some stats now on how far the, the money will go in helping these individuals out in the Surrey area. So. Uh, Please, if you have extra money this season, um, send it to, uh, where where can they find it, Uh, Sheena? Right on our website at www.sosbc.org. Perfect. So to wrap up, uh, the question that we ask at the end of every interview is, what's the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you, Sheena? Okay, so this is going back a little ways, but in high school, my English teacher and my principal, they went above and beyond to encourage and advocate for me to travel abroad. And this was going to be for one year. 
in my wildest dreams, I never thought I'd be able to do this, nor did my family, nor did they want me to go. Um, but after days and days of discussing and finally my principal and my English teacher coming to my home and talking to my family about it and just advocating and being there for me and saying, you can do this and believing in me. Um, yeah, I got to go. So I think the kindest thing that they did for me was just believe. They believed and they advocated and they didn't leave me alone throughout the whole thing. Even when it came to the day I took the flight, they were there on the at the airport. When I arrived, they checked in. Although it was like super lonely at times and I, I went to a country where there was a different language. I couldn't speak it. I didn't understand it. Um, the first three months, uh, yeah, I, it brings back a lot of <laughs> sad, lonely moments. Um, but my principal ended up even coming to visit during Christmas. And I think what I walk away from with that is that at the end of the day, they, they never gave up. And that's, that's a lot of the work that I do is I'm, I'm there. I, I'll pick up the call. I'll talk to the youth. I will believe in them just as much as my principal and teacher believed in me. Yeah, learning how to believe in others and teaching them how to um, gain pride from their independence they're gaining is an incredible lesson to learn and obviously create a ripple, ripple effects on you and everyone else around you. So uh, Sheena, so awesome to talk to you today and learn a little bit more about uh, SOS um, organization. Thank you. Thank you guys too.